The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. Welcome to the Three Donation Podcast. I'm Justin Dunk, joined by John Hodge and J.C. Abbott. Today, we're discussing MCL ligament damage in the left knee of Riders franchise quarterback, Cody Fajardo. Who the Ottawa Red Blacks should start at quarterback. Gahari Jones firing back at Danny Machocha. The Blue Bombers looking to stay perfect in Cowtown. And former CFL quarterback Chris Streveler signing with the New York Jets. But first... The CFL posted its largest average TV audience of the 2022 season in week seven on TSN. Saskatchewan led the way with 648,000 tuning in to watch the Rough Riders lose to the Argonauts on Sunday night. That high rating has started a discussion around the idea of having Sunday games in the summer until the NFL begins in September. What's your take? Personally, I don't think that this data from this week is all that meaningful simply because it was the Riders, right, that played on Sunday. We know that the Riders always do the best ratings on average. They have the three highest rated games of the season thus far. And there also wasn't any CFL action on Saturday this week, right? There was a gap from Saturday to Sunday, which I think may have inflated that audience as well. The other argument I hear in favor of Sunday football prior to the NFL season getting underway is that people don't like Thursday night football. Well, the late game Hamilton at BC, which started at 10 PM Eastern time, which is awfully late in steel town did over half a million views. So to me, I think that this information is interesting. The data is, is, is worthwhile, but this upcoming week, we have one game Thursday through Sunday. And I think this upcoming week is going to provide us a clearer picture of the CFL ratings game. Cause I'm all for Thursday football, Sunday football, whatever I'll watch whenever it's on. But I do think that obviously the CFL and TSN should try to schedule things when most fans are able to watch. Mm. I, I agree with that. It's a little bit early to make, you know, sweeping determinations based on, on just one week of data. But I did see a, a bunch of compelling arguments out there from fans online as to why, you know, people they know, you know, don't watch as much CFL, but but come to the NFL on Sunday because it's just sort of ingrained in that, you know, that day of rest. They go out Saturday night. They have a few too many soda pops. They want to lay around on their couch <laughs> on Sunday all day. And what's on? It's football. And they don't have to worry about what channel it's on. They just turn on the TV and it's there. There's some discussion among CFL fans of, well, we don't really know, you know, the, the schedule is a little bit all over the place at times. And these Thursday night games, especially for people going into the stadium, are not ideal, right? If you've got an earlier kickoff or something like that, you know, people getting off work don't necessarily want to go and and have a, a late night on a, on a Thursday night uh, in, in the stadium. It, it's not a big draw for for fans in attendance which ultimately is a problem for the cfl as well 
I'd like to see them experiment a little bit more with this Sunday concept. I think there's some merit to it. I think people are ingrained in watching football on Sundays because of the NFL. Now, can you ever go head to head with the major league down south? I'm not sure. I'm a little bit wary of that. But certainly in the NFL offseason, it might be worthwhile to, you know, put aside Thursday night football and and uh, examine some more games on Sunday. Definitely do not go head to head with the NFL in September for their regular season. Don't do that anymore. I hate when they continue to do that. I understand some teams like it because they get more bums and seats, but we're living in a virtual world, which has made our world much smaller. So I think the CFL needs to be focused on getting their product in front of people on screens as much as possible. I believe Sunday nights in the summer could do just that. JC, you sort of alluded to it. A lot of people like to go out, especially Friday and Saturday nights, in that demographic that the CFL wants to get into their games. And really, there's not much else on from a sports viewing perspective on Sundays outside of the Blue Jays. You know that usually the Jays are going to play an afternoon baseball game most of the time. It is at 1 p.m. Sometimes there's the odd 4 p.m. game, and you probably don't want to go up against them because the Jays have been a ratings powerhouse this summer. They're coming off a series sweep over the last weekend against Boston, where they averaged over a million viewers per telecast on Sportsnet. So that tells you that there's an appetite for sports viewing, but perhaps it's just the Jays, although I would say that if you try this out and have more of a data sample size for your Sunday games in the summer, that it's a possibility that the CFL needs to look at. I know our Joel Gasson is one proponent against Thursday night football. He doesn't really like it in any league, CFL, NFL, or otherwise, although he probably likes it in the NCAA because he likes his silly things that go on in the college games down south. But I think it's worth looking at the difficulty is going to be if you have Sunday football, does that make it easier for people to get to the games and get home where they can have a late night on Sunday night? Now, at least you could make the argument that they would have more time to get there on a Sunday versus a Thursday night, where if you're getting out of the office, you know, regardless of what city you're in, the game's probably going to be at 7 p.m. local time or around that. So you're pretty much leaving the office or your home office, I guess, in these days and trying to get to the game as quickly as you can so you don't miss kickoff if there's any traffic you might be set back, especially in some of those bigger cities. But I think it's an intriguing idea, one the league, I'm sure, is going to look at. And Hodge said it too, man. We can't just look at the Rough Riders ratings and say, oh, yeah, they need to play every Sunday. So this Sunday when the Argos play the Red Blacks will be a better indicator. That said, the Argos were a part of that rating. And traditionally, Toronto, even though they don't have a lot of people in the stands, has drawn well in terms of a TV audience. So I think overall... The CFL needs to look at potentially taking over Sundays in the summer. And if it means that you're playing less football on Thursday nights and you think it's going to improve your ratings and maybe even the amount of fans in the stands, then go for it. One thing I'll say just, I mean, and obviously all three of us have an editorial role on the site. If the CFL is looking to make headlines every single day, or at least have news every single day, Spreading games over four days is a nice way to do that. Wednesday, you get your depth charts, you get your injury news, you have four days of games. By Monday, you're still recapping the Sunday game. And by Tuesday, right, the one day that is not adjacent to a game day, you're going to have teams practicing, coming back to practice for the first first time in the week, getting ready for their Thursday game or their Friday game. 
that seems to be a nice way. If you have two double headers, as we've seen sometimes, two Friday, two Saturday, you open yourself to some dead spots in the week, which I don't think is good for for any organization that's looking to stay relevant in the news cycle, whether it's on our publication or, of course, elsewhere. And the one thing I'll add is, is I think the CFL just needs to focus on the idea of casual viewership. I think that's the key thing here. Like people who watch football, people who watch the NFL especially, are not necessarily dedicated, informed football fans all the time, right? They watch what's on. They watch what's accessible to them. And the NFL, because it's so big, you know, because there's so many different options and ways to watch it and consume it, it's so easy to have that in front of you. And it's so ingrained, especially on those Sundays, to just, you know, one or two channels flip between you never have to move, you, you never have to do anything. I I think the CFL in particular needs to make it more accessible for casual viewers to both go to games and watch on TV. And part of that is, you know, when people watch the NFL on Sunday, it's on things like CTV in primetime, right? It's it's on the major networks. It it still boggles my mind that the CFL is exclusively on TSN and that it's not on the major network that everyone gets. That needs to change in the future. You need to be accessible to more people. The heyday of the CFL was when it was on the CBC and it was a free public broadcaster that everyone got with your antennas, right? You need to get in front of everyone. Part of that is online content and streaming now. That's a big avenue, but you need to also push Bell Media to get on that major network. The tricky part, though, with having a game every day this week, as Hodge alluded to, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, would be player safety, right? You're going to have some short weeks in there. I get it. It would be great from a pure entertainment perspective, but they would have to talk to the players about that if they were going to do it. And JC, you're bang on. We need to hear the real reason from Bell Media, TSN, or CTV as to why the CFL games are not on CTV. Because if you're the CFL and you have a television partner, yeah, they're paying big bucks for your content to put your games out there. But from the league office perspective, you want it getting out to as many people as humanly possible. So I think they should try it out. Maybe we just came up with an idea right here on the Three Down Nation podcast. Sunday CFL games on CTV in the summer. Sell the heck out of it. There you go, CFL and Bell Media. <laughs> hey, and if we ever talk to Bell Media execs, we can ask them why the TSN app sucks. <laughs> <laughs> Riders head coach Craig Dickinson revealed that franchise quarterback Cody Fajardo has damage to his MCL ligament in his left knee. Fajardo indicated that it was COVID, not his knee, that held him out of last week's loss to the Argos, and he plans to play this week at home against the BC Lions. Is that the correct decision? Well, it's hard for me to judge having not seen him after that week of imposed rest, which I think was needed. But based on what I saw two weeks ago at Touchdown Atlantic, it's not the correct decision for Kogi Fajardo's knee. That's a serious injury. It's it's deeply concerning for his his long-term health this season and beyond and he had COVID last week which he admitted in a tweet absolutely kicked his butt so now you've got an immobile quarterback that's going to be catching his breath the entire football game while he's trying to avoid defenders who know his left knee is a problem to me that's a recipe for disaster 
And yeah, if I was the Raggers, I'd certainly be taking a much, much, much more conservative approach with how I'm handling Kogi Fajardo. Sometimes the decisions are right in front of us, fellas, and this is an easy one to me. You sit down, Fajardo, he has the bye week to heal up. That gets him, you know, close to a month off, and hopefully that MCL can heal up you know, close back to normal. It's probably not going to get there in season, but this is your best opportunity to get your franchise guy rest during the season and ready for the stretch run where you're going to have the run the gauntlet through the West Division in terms of your schedule and then go through some of those teams in the playoffs if you want to get to that home Grey Cup at Mosaic Stadium. So the Riders, it would be prudent for them to sit them down, and this is the first real test, as our contributor Joel Gaston wrote out of Regina for general manager Jeremy O'Day and head coach Craig Dickinson. And it was Dickinson who said, J.C., when we are out in Wolfville after the game, that he'd be worried about pulling Fajardo out of the game sometimes that he might have a fight on his hands. While Dickinson and O'Day in this instance, need to put their foot down, sit Fajardo down. I don't care if it's Jake Dolagala or Mason Fine that play against BC this week, but they need to sit him down, let him rest that knee, and be as good as he potentially could be health-wise until he takes another shot on that knee for this massive stretch drive coming up for the Riders to try to make a push for the Great Cup. Because unless... Dolagala or Fine ends up becoming the second coming of Ricky Ray. The Riders aren't going to play on that game if Fajardo was sidelined with a knee issue. He needs to be sat down. It's the smart, prudent, and simple decision. I 100% agree with you guys. The, the podcast would be more interesting if I didn't agree, but I, I can't argue the opposite. <laughs> the, re, the reality is, you know, Cody Fajardo missing one game means means next to nothing the only the only really awful thing that could happen at this point to the riders is obviously they finish last and they don't make the playoffs but anybody who's looked at the cfl standing knows we're going to have four teams out of the west division making the playoffs and it doesn't really matter if you're three or four right if anything you'd rather be four and go on the road in the east than you would going on the road in the west i know historically the fourth place team in the west has never made it to the gray cup but i'm sorry if you ask me would you rather go to let's say, you know, Montreal than Toronto, or would you rather go to Calgary than Winnipeg? Uh, I'm sure if you blindly polled people across the league, you'd get a pretty unanimous response. They would obviously rather go out east than go out west for that run of the Grey Cup. And the only chance that the Riders have at winning a championship this year is a healthy Cody Fajardo. They do not have to beat the BC Lions this week. They need Cody Fajardo to be as healthy as possible for the rest of the season. And especially with the bye week, like that's the thing that clinches this for me. You've got a bye in a week's time. That's the perfect opportunity to give Cody not just one, not two, but now three weeks of rest. Last week, this week in the bye and get that knee proper. Because if that knee is not proper, again, it doesn't matter what, what happens in the short term. Long term, they're, they're, they're in a, a heap of trouble, heap of trouble. They're not in trouble right now. But if that knee gets worse, it's going to get bad in Ryderville. I really like Craig Dickinson as a head coach. I, I, I find him great with the media. But ultimately, like this comes down to him. As a head coach, you have a duty to protect your players long term. You cannot just pass the buck off and say, well, my starting quarterback wants to be out there and he's a competitor and he wants to fight through the injury. At a certain point, you have to be the guy in charge and you have to make a decision in order to protect other people. That that decision may not be popular with the player, right? You may have to call Fajardo into your office and I don't think 
Cody Fitzgerald ever gets in screaming matches, but you have to deal with a little bit of, of sourness in that conversation. But it has to be done. You have to protect him because that is your job as the head coach. You have to be the boss. You have to make the tough calls for the health of the team, for the health of your player. So he doesn't force himself onto the field and get a low shot from Obum Guachim this week and he's done for the season because I think that's a real, real risk. The flip side of this, just quickly, guys, before we move on, is Fajardo wanting to play because he's in a contract year and he knows the best availability for him to get more money is to be on the field so that, you know, Mason Fine or Jake Dolagala don't come in and show some intrigue and potentially steal that future away. Now, I know that's sort of a long shot that that would even happen, but from Fajardo's perspective, that's why he wants to stay on the field so he can keep leveraging contract negotiations and not allow somebody else to take his place because that's how he got his chance to become the face of the franchise. We all remember back in 2019, game one, Simone Lawrence on Zach Caleros knocks him out and Fajardo comes in and leads the team the rest of the season. So he knows how quickly things can turn in his own head. So I don't blame him for wanting to be out there. But as JC said, O'Day and Dickinson need to make the prudent decision for their football team and sit him down. I, and I get that point. But I also saw Jake Dolagala play this past week. That's all. That's that's all I'm yeah, going to say. Not a threat to take Kogi Fajardo's job right now, is he? Paul Lapolis told TSN 1200 in Ottawa that the team is still trying to determine quote what is the best choice, what the best choice is close quote at quarterback. What do you think the Red Black sh- or who do you think the Red Black should roll with, Caleb Evans or Nick Arbuckle? To me, it's an easy decision. Caleb Evans' arrow is pointing way up. He's had the Red Blacks competitive in a bunch of ball games last season and already this season. Has he made mistakes? Yes. Has Lapalise been unfair in terms of his public criticism on the youngster? I believe so. I don't remember Lapalise being so critical of a player publicly in any time during his coaching career in the CFL. I would like to see him roll with Evans. And I also think it would provide him some job security because he would say, look it, we got a young guy that I've helped develop in my offense. That looks like he could be a franchise quarterback in the future. And I'm saying projecting towards the end of the season, I think Caleb Evans has an intriguing skill set as a passer and a runner. And as a guy that could do very well in the CFL, if he continues to get the opportunity to start for the Red Blacks, and then that gives Lapalise sort of the free pass because Jeremiah Masoli gets knocked there for the season from that low shot by Garrett Marino. And now he says, hey, I've got this guy who's a young dude. If Masoli can't come back and play at the level they we all expect him to, or, you know, heaven forbid he can't come back at all, then they can turn to Evans. I think this is an easy decision. It's great to have Nick Arbuckle in-house because he's been in the league and been in a bunch of different offenses to help Evans out. And he's also there as an insurance policy in case of injury. But to me, the Red Blacks should be going with Evans. Yeah, I don't think Evans should get a long leash, but I certainly think that Evans bought himself some time with a very good performance against the Montreal Alouettes. He put up 33 points on the board. It should have been 40 had Darvin Adams squeezed that that uh, that touchdown, which should have been a touchdown pass late in the game to tie it up. Caleb Evans protected the football well. He's run the football well. He has certainly shown signs of improvement even over the three games that he's played, two of which he's started since, as Dunk mentioned, 
Jeremiah Masoli went down following the hit from Garrett Marino. I think they were smart to bring in Nick Arbuckle, as Lapoli said in the interview with TSN 1200. You need two quarterbacks anyways to succeed in this league. I think that Caleb Evans and Nick Arbuckle are a good one to punch. And again, I don't think that Arbuckle should be, you know, three bad starts from Caleb Evans away from getting in there. But I certainly think that Caleb Evans bought himself some time with a very good performance against Montreal. I'm excited to see what he can do this week against the Argos. Yeah, if you asked me this two weeks ago, I would have said get Nick Garbuckle in there as soon as possible because I wasn't overly enthused with what I, what I saw from Caleb Evans as a rookie. I thought Arbuckle's a safer option. I thought he fit really n- nicely with what Lapley's had done with you know immobile quarterbacks in the past like Matt Nichols. I thought it was a nice pairing. But if you're going to stand in front of your football team and say, you know, this is all about merit and and how you play and what have you done for me lately? Well, Caleb Evans the last two weeks has looked really, really good, done everything that you've asked of him. I don't think he could have you know, played much better than he did last week. And he almost gave that team a victory. He should have, you know, at least tied that game. You know, if Darvin Adams hauls that in, you can't take a guy like that off the field and maintain your credibility in the locker room as a coach, right? That's a death blow for you. So Caleb Evans, you got to roll with him as long as he's performing, as you said, Hodge, the leash doesn't have to be very long. You know, it's one or two bad performances. But until he shows you that, he's the guy right now in Ottawa. What if we're talking about Lewis Ward hitting that field goal? The Red Blacks win the game. Darwin Adams catches that touchdown. And Ottawa either goes to overtime, I guess, would be the likely scenario, and wins that game as well. And Evans is... 2-0 since Masoli goes down. We're talking about this guy as the next franchise quarterback to be certain in Ottawa. So I think we got to remember these small things, sometimes inches, can define legacies and the way that we view a player. I don't think it necessarily makes Evans any better or worse that Ward didn't make that kick or that Adams dropped that pass. That's why I think we need to view him for what he is. But people would be talking about him much, much differently. Let's all remember that. So I think that's the reason why they need to stick with Evans. He's younger. He's more dynamic in terms of his athletic ability. I think it's great to have Arbuckle as an insurance policy, but roll with Adams and La Police. It'll give you more time to keep that head coach job in Ottawa. Kahari Jones told Montreal Gazette reporter Herb Zerkowski that he was not happy with Danny Machocha's assertion that the Alouettes lacked discipline under his leadership, saying, quote, I take issue with that. People start thinking of you as an undisciplined person or someone who promotes it. Close quote. Is it fair for Jones to feel some type of way? Absolutely. It is 100% appropriate for Kahari Jones to feel that way. And frankly, I'm glad that he defended himself in this interview with Herbie. This is something that needed to be done. I'm not saying that every single criticism that Danny Machocha had of the fired head coach is completely unwarranted, but I think it's important to hear both sides of every story, especially because, you know, the Montreal Alouettes ranked fifth in penalty yardage per game this season when Jones was fired and the club was one in three. Yeah, not pretty, but I mean, David Cote makes that 19 yard field goal. They're two and two. (laughs) And last I checked, Danny Machocha 
is one and one to start the season, uh, or to start his tenure as as head coach, I should say. So I appreciated that Jones had this to say, and I also look at the other side of things. You know, I, I think when you talk about discipline, that maybe means more than just you know on field penalties. You know, maybe that is conduct around travel. Maybe that is conduct around you know the locker room things that we don't see, and I think we need to acknowledge that we're not privy to all of those details. But when you talk about teams that over the last couple of years has have had off-field distractions or arrests or issues like that, the Montreal Alouettes have not been one of those teams. They have not had a player busted for steroids. They've not had a player arrested that I'm aware of or can think of. The only Quan legal Bray. issue would be Quan Bray, but that, of course, happened during the off-season and not even in this country that happened south of the border, which I think is a, is is certainly different than you know a player doing something stupid on a Saturday night at a Montreal nightclub during the season, right? Where it actually impacts your team. It's very different to have it off season, right? I don't think anybody can look at what happened with Quan Bray and say, "Oh, this is clearly the head coach's fault." Like that's a ridiculous thing to say. So. I don't think we have all the facts. We never will get all the facts, but I appreciated what Jones said. I thought he made some excellent points. On the counterpoint, if if Kahari Jones thinks there was not any discipline issues or he had no responsibility for that in Montreal, I think he's also wrong in that because they were improved this season. But in 2021, I think they were the either the most or the second most penalized team depending on the category you look at. So it has been an issue for this team under Jones's tenure. And one, I think he was improving upon. So there's a grain of truth to both sides here. On one hand, I think Kahari Jones is maybe passing the buck just slightly here and saying, well, you know, I'm not an undisciplined person. You can't put all that on me because it clearly was an issue for this team at one stage. On the other hand, you know, it hasn't been as bad an issue as it was per- portrayed this year by Danny Machocha. And I think it was unfair to put that responsibility entirely on Jones. And as we've seen, the problem has been worse since Machocha has taken over in those two games. So there's clearly an issue within that locker room or with the player base in terms of disciplined play. Now, how much of that responsibility goes on the head coach for establishing a culture in the locker room and how many how much of it is on the general manager who acquired all those players and put them on the roster, I think is up for debate. And I think there is blame to be divvied up to both parties. So Jones was right to defend himself. At the same time, I would like to see a little bit more acknowledgement of maybe some of the things that did go wrong in wrong in Montreal because as proud as he is of the results they ultimately didn't do the things that they needed to do for him to keep his job which was win playoff games yeah but he was never really going to keep it right unless he won the Grey Cup he was going to be fired by Machocha that was set up I do agree with you that there's some blame to go around because Machocha is the GM he ultimately has final save with players on the roster and Jones was the head coach I think what Jones took issue with mostly was saying that it's not like he promoted it, right? we got to remember that penalties, especially on defense, are called in a much different way now, even than just a couple of years ago, fellas. Like, pretty much, you breathe on a quarterback, that roughing the passer flag is coming out. There have been some calls, and as a former Canadian University quarterback myself, that I've seen, I'm going, really? 
Like you used to have to be ready to throw the ball and take a shot. And that was a sign of a tough quarterback. Now you throw the ball and you take a shot after the flag's coming out. So it's a much different officiated game. The rules are always changing. I'm not saying that's an excuse. As a head coach, you need to explain the rule back, rule book and have your players understand it. But the way the game is called is much different. It's not like Alouettes are out here taking a bunch of objectionable conduct penalties and just looking so terrible for doing so and out of character and being upset. I don't think that's the case. We'll leave the helmet throwing to Duke Williams, even though Vernon Adams Jr. (laughs) did it a couple of years ago. It wasn't something that we saw a bunch from the Alouettes in my mind. We didn't see a bunch of, you know, incidents of yelling at each other on the sidelines. So I don't think that was necessarily the issue. And we got to remember, too, that, you know, sometimes maybe you get flag-happy crews in the CFL. Joel Gaston would have his hand up and say, yeah, Al Bradbury likes to throw flags. <laughs> maybe the Alouettes just happened to draw more of uh, his games, or he maybe happened to be signed to more Alouettes games in this instance. So until we really dig into the penalties, we don't necessarily know. But just from watching the games, I felt like the Alouettes were fairly decently disciplined. They weren't the worst in the league by any means, obviously by the stats, but just even overall, they really carried themselves well, you know, maybe outside of Vernon Adams Jr. who likes to wear his emotions on his sleeve. But that's where I think Jones had the issue. He doesn't feel like he's an undisciplined person and doesn't necessarily promote it. And you can only control the message so much, right? Ultimately, those guys go to go out and play the game and make some of those decisions themselves. So I don't think it should be all on Jones, but the issue there was it didn't really matter what he did outside of winning a Grey Cup. He was going to be fired, and even he knew it. There you go. And, and you know, we, we've seen the disorganization this year. We've seen coaching mistakes in Ottawa. We've seen infighting on the sideline in Toronto. Last year, we saw an arrest in Winnipeg. We've seen an arrest in Saskatchewan, multiple suspensions in Saskatchewan. I'm just saying, when it comes to disorganization and chaos on the sideline, Montreal ain't it. I haven't seen it. Riders receiver Duke Williams vehemently denied spitting on Argo's defensive back Shaq Richardson saying, quote, if you're not a dog and you're weak, you make up excuses. Close quote. Do you believe him? No, I don't really believe Duke Williams for a couple of reasons. One, there's precedent for this, right? He was accused of spitting last year as well by Sean Lemon of the Calgary Stampeders. Uh, We talked about this last week. There is now a pattern of alleged behavior where spitting is the common threat. There's been other discipline issues as well in this pattern, but spitting has been a multiple time accusation now for Duke Williams. So he has lost some of the benefit of the doubt in my mind. The other aspect here is if you're Ryan Dinwiddie or Shaquille Richardson, And you are going to go up there and make uh, an accusation at Duke Williams. Why even bother making up the spitting? The man tossed the helmet at your head. He tried to decapitate you. That's the suspendable offense right there. You don't have to make up a fake spitting incident. He already did one of the worst things you can do on a football field when he picked up his helmet and used it as a weapon, right? You don't have to make up extra stuff. That just doesn't make sense from my perspective as to why that would be the fake excuse. And to me, Duke Williams is just sort of trying to pass the buck here. And yes, he'll say he, you know, he feels bad that he let his teammates down and he missed the game. 
I don't know if there's any real contrition there because there's been multiple times he's been accused of stuff that are, you know, a little bit underhanded, spigging, and you know, eye gouging, different things like that over the last two years. And I don't see a lot of change in his behavior. Argos head coach Ryan Dinwiddie was hot after that touchdown Atlantic game. And to me, I don't think he would have been that fired up if it was something that did not happen. So we're trying to read between what guys are saying here and come up with the truth. So I'll leave it at that. And to his credit, Regina Leader Post reporter Murray McCormick asked for Duke Williams to be available after the touchdown Atlantic game. And you would think that Williams would want the opportunity to come out and deny those allegations because it was on Twitter right away after Dinwiddie said it. And JC, you and I were in that room. I believe it was about an hour after the Argos took to the podium that someone from the Riders first came up. And it actually wasn't even head coach Craig Dickinson. He was the last guy to go. So they well knew what had been leveled their way. And if Williams really didn't do it, I would have felt like if I was in his shoes, at least I would have wanted to step to the podium, you know, take the heat for the helmet throw, first of all, but also deny spitting on people because Williams agreed. And to his credit, again, Mr. McCormick asked him if he felt like spitting is the worst thing that you can do on a football field. And he agreed. So why would you not want to put that out right away if indeed you did not do it? So that's where for me in this instance, the actions speak louder than the words in terms of not coming up to the podium post game in Wolfville. Well, and let, let's also say this. I, I was asking the CFL for updates through this investigation. They were prompt in providing those to me. However, once the announcement came out that Duke Williams had been suspended for one game following the helmet throw, I asked again specifically regarding the spitting, if anything had come of that investigation, and I did not receive a reply. So it's very easy as a player to deny something once you know the investigation is done, and evidently the CFL could not find hard evidence, i.e. video evidence, of you spitting. Because obviously if Duke Williams denies it day of the game, and the CFL later investigates and concludes, no, we have we have hard evidence that you spat on somebody. You've got egg on your face. Maybe not as bad as having spit on your face, but you still don't want egg on your face. It's a lot easier to deny once the investigation is over and you know you're in the clear of any supplemental discipline. So I'm not calling uh, I'm not calling Duke a liar straight up because again, I don't know what happened. We don't have the evidence, but with the evidence that's been presented on both sides. I am more likely to believe that he did spit than he didn't spit. And I 100% agree with you, Dunkster. This is something he should have addressed immediately. If he didn't do it, there's no reason not to address it. And if you don't talk to the media, at least release a statement on social media or through the team's social media like Garrett Marino did, albeit four days after breaking Jeremiah Masoli's leg. We just talked about discipline issues with Kahari Jones and Montreal and how we think, you know, that wasn't necessarily fair to put on him. Well, the Riders have a serious issue here. And my biggest gripe with what's happening with Saskatchewan right now is these multiple multiple players have had suspendable incidents, you know, accusations leveled against them, and they have not been put in front of the podium after. You pointed to it, Dunk. Right, Duke Williams did not address the media after that game, after that accusation, after the helmet throw that everyone saw. Garrett Marino 
has still has not talked, you know, put himself in front of a podium to discuss what happened with Jeremiah Mazzoli and had that bogus statement that he put out and said he won't be discussing it any further, right? That's not accountability. If you're going to run a football team, if you're going to run any organization, right, when somebody messes up or even when they're accused of something, you have to be enough of a, you know, a a man, a human being, whatever you want to call it, to stand in front of those accusing you and to answer the questions honestly and frankly and take responsibility or or explain the situation and deny it, right? You have to to get up there and take the bullets. That to me is crucial right now. Saskatchewan has put in a policy where anytime there's anything controversial, they're going to hide their guys and try and protect them. And to me, that's simply a bad look and it's self-fulfilling within that locker room because now they know they can get away with anything and they're not going to be held responsible because they're not going to have to be asked tough questions when it really matters. The undefeated 7-0 Blue Bombers travel to Calgary this week for a showdown with the Calgary Stampeders. Can Bo Levi Mitchell and the White Horses take down Winnipeg? Yes, I believe the Stamps can. I think the game is a pick at most sports books, if that tickles your fancy. And I like Calgary coming off a bye, and last time it was oh so close. Kamar Jordan had that tying touchdowns in his hands, and then it bounced away to Demario Houston. That was at IG Field. So now with the St. Peters being able to be at McMahon Stadium, you know, I imagine Jordan's going to catch every pass that comes his way and they're going to be juiced up after having a week of rest. So I'm jacked up for this tilt. We're going to do our best, fellas, to hype it up right here now. It's going to be a gooder. It's going to be a gooder. I, I will say I was a little salty after the Bombers lost, or pardon me, the Bombers beat Edmonton, not because they won, but because of my prediction was they were going to lose that game. And honestly, they got outplayed. Like everybody, it's like, oh, they won by 14 points. It's like, come on. They were not the better team. I'm not trying to take the win away from them, but Edmonton outplayed them at Commonwealth Stadium. And that was clear to anybody who actually watched the game and didn't just look at the score scoreboard after it was completed. I am picking Calgary to win. I still think that Winnipeg is the best team in the CFL, but they are too banged up right now, right? They, they, they're still missing Michael Couture, the reigning CFL all-star center to injury. I don't think he's going to be back soon. Greg Ellingson, Nick Dembski, Carlton Agadosi are hurt in the receiving core. Jackson Jeffcoat is still not practicing as that all-important bookend to Willie Jefferson. To me, that combination of injuries paired with the fact that this game is on the road, I do think that I smell at least a Calgary Stampeders win. And if I was placing money on this game as a pick I'd be very happy to put money on that line getting the Calgary Stampeders at home. I know Winnipeg is 7-0 but they're not going to finish the season 18 and 0. They're going to lose at some point. I thought it was last week. I think it happens this week. I'd also be inclined to put some money down on the Stampeders, but I'm not going to do so just yet cuz I want to see how a few things uh unfold for them this week in practice because they've been missing some pretty significant players. In, in the early going of this week with a few COVID cases and at least one case of pneumonia as well. So I'm a little bit concerned if, you know, obviously they're coming off the bye. Hopefully this is residual COVID. It clears up in time for the game, but I'm wary that they'll also be missing some key contributors, much as the Saskatchewan Rough Riders were last week. 
heading into this crucial game with Winnipeg, and that levels the playing field. The Bombers may be banged up, but if you have some some illness in your locker room, that can have a pretty devastating impact on your ability to play at the level you're expected to. If Bolivar Mitchell's out there, it's a pick'em game in Calgary with all the issues that the Blue Bombers are dealing with. JC, man, just save your trouble. Don't worry <laughs> about it anymore. Put your ducats down on the stamps, okay? Well, I'll, I'll, I will say credit to JC. If the and I don't think they will be. The game's not till Saturday. But if like Derek Dennis and Kadeem Carey and Jameer Thurman and like, the list goes on, if they're all not available, I, I, I would reconsider. But again, the game's not till Saturday. I'd imagine some, if not all those guys, will be back. Kadeem Carey is the one who matters most to me. Kadeem Carey, Stop I think, is the best player. sitting on the player. fence, both of you, okay? <laughs> sitting on the fence is fun sometimes. It's now time for Hodges' <laughs> heritage moment. On this day in 2017, John Urschel announced his retirement from the NFL at the age of 26. The Winnipeg native was a first-round pick of the Baltimore Ravens in 2014 and appeared in 40 games with the team, making 13 starts at center and guard. Urschel won the William V. Campbell Trophy, also known as the Academic Heisman at Penn State, and is now a professional mathematician who's been published, performing incredible feats of research. My question for both of you is how good, on a scale from 1 to 10, how good are your math skills? (laughs) <laughs> compared to Herschel's, it's a one or maybe minus. One. I'm not saying compared to Urshel. I'm saying compared to the average adult in our society. Oh, well, I mean, that's probably not a very high bar. So uh, maybe a five. I don't know. They're not very good, though. Oh, wow. Okay. Average, a- a- average, average adult we're talking about. I noticed Dunk is dodging the question. I think there's a reason for that. I don't think he's a five or even a four. Probably not a three. He left the he left the bat to his center. Yes, exactly. That's all you I need count to know. How many defenders are in the box and how many defenders are on the field? That's about it. There, there you go. go. That's that's what we call a math degree from Guelph. Yes. <laughs> The Griffin special. <laughs> Not one math class in that Bachelor of Arts. Okay, boys, let's keep it rolling. Speaking of math, the three-minute drill. Can you guys keep telling me how many seconds are in three minutes quickly? 180. Boom. Hodge got you, JC. The Saskatchewan Rough Riders have trademarked a new logo, though. President Craig Reynolds says the team has no plans to change their primary one. Does that make sense? It does, because let's be honest, that new logo they trademarked is ugly. The Edmonton Elks signed former NFL and Argos defensive lineman Coney Ely. Is that a good fit? I think it's a great fit. They've worked together before in Toronto. The Elks have a desperate need along that defensive line. He's long, he's athletic, and he's a big name, which Chris Jones loves. JT Barrett, a prized free agent signing for Edmonton, who retired after suffering an offseason injury, has been hired as an offensive assistant coach with the Detroit Lions. Is that a smart move? It is for Mr. Barrett because his earning potential in terms of rising in the NFL coaching ranks is way higher than it would have been even if he became a franchise quarterback in the CFL. The Blue Bombers posted a $2.1 million operating profit in 2021 despite a pandemic-shortened season. Is that positive news for the Blue and Gold? It absolutely is. If you only get seven home dates, let's remember, in a normal season, you get 10. You get nine plus the preseason game. Only seven games. Absolutely, this is positive news. Yes, the team received some government assistance during the pandemic, 
but one year after 2020, you can't argue with turning a profit. The Red Blacks have signed defensive end Antonio Simmons after he was cut by the Montreal Alouettes. Can he help Ottawa's pass rush? I think he can help them instantaneously. Right now, they're they're missing praise Martin Aguique, who's been very good, in my opinion, at their defensive end. A, a, a spot a young player who's got some potential. He's hurt. Antonio Simmons can plug in playing. He's had success in this league before. Former CFL commissioner Doug Mitchell passed away this week at the age of 83. What did he mean to Canadian football? Well, for the uninitiated, the Mitchell Bowl Trophy, which one of the U Sports National semifinal games or Canadian University football semifinal games is named after Doug Mitchell. He was very passionate about sport in our country, specifically collegiate sport at the post-secondary level in university. And of course, him being a former commissioner left his mark on the CFL, RIP, Mr. Mitchell. Former CFL quarterback Chris Strebler has signed with the New York J-E-T-S, Jets, Jets, Jets. Could he break training camp with gangrene? I think he can. Their third string quarterback is Mike White. Their second string quarterback is the emaciated corpse of Joe Flacco, who I learned while doing research (laughs) for this, is still playing in the NFL. I didn't realize it. Absolutely. Chris Traveler can make this roster. I think he's a good fit behind Zach Wilson, who knows how to use his legs. The Hamilton Tiger Cats traded John Ryan to the Edmonton Elks without him ever dressing for a game with the team. What do you think is the most memorable moment of his tenure with the Tabbies? Wow, there's so many to choose from. I can't wait for the jersey retirement ceremony. <laughs> to me, the most memorable moment was when he signed with them like two weeks ago and went on the podium and said, the winless Ticats have a great shot at winning the Grey Cup, and that's when I've arrived. <laughs> and then they promptly traded him out of town to Edmonton, who does not have a great shot at winning the Grey Cup, and even less so than Hamilton did when they didn't have a win. So rough days for Mr. Ryan. Riders defensive end Charleston Hughes was upset his fumble recovery didn't count as a touchdown this week, saying, quote, in any other league or any other football game, that's a touchdown, close quote. Does he have a point? Well, he does not, but I actually agree with Mr. Hughes. And I'm going to go back to the 2007 Yates Cup. Okay, guys, I know it's a three-minute drill, but this might take me three minutes. Against the Western University Mustangs at the time, UWO, University of Guelph Stadium, Alumni Field. Michael Folds fumbles the football. It's on the ground. Our defensive end, Grant McDonald, knocks some poor Mustang out of the way, jumps on the ball inside the 10 or 5-yard line. Okay, we're going to go in for the touchdown and win the Aids Cup. Everything's going to be great, but there's a freaking flag on the ground. I'm not even going to say the officiating crew because apparently when the ball is fumbled, you can't make contact with anybody else. So, Mr. Hughes, you're technically wrong because this call has happened in somewhat similar fashion before, but I agree with you in the sense that if there's a fumble, anything should go in football, okay? It is a mad rush, dash, fight, battle, however you want to categorize it, to get the football. So, Mr. Hughes, yes, you should have scored a touchdown, and yes, Mr. McDonald, my former teammate with the Griffins, that should have been the game-changing play of the 2007 Yates Cup. Instead, Western was gifted, yes, I said it, gifted a victory in that Yates Cup. All right, I'm done. Now that Doug has had a chance to to grind his 15-year-old axe with the Western <laughs> Mustangs, 
I don't think we should go on the record saying that anything should go when a fumble happens because you're going to have guys out here spitting on people and throwing help. Never wait. Never mind. Okay. Well, yeah, yeah. Don't pull a Duke Williams when the ball's on the ground. Don't spit or throw somebody's helmet. But other than that, you can bat the ball like Hughes did. You can hit somebody else who's in the way who might jump on the ball before you to get them out of the way. We are playing contact sport after all. Let's just let the rules of the game, anything that would happen in a natural play of football, let it go on when the ball is on the turf. All right, referees, please and thank you. I just want to know what you would have said to the camera had you gotten the end zone in that Yates Cup. <laughs> I think we all know what you would have said. Uh, yes, yeah, sadly we know. Canadian receiver John Mechie III announced that he has been diagnosed with leukemia and will likely miss his entire rookie NFL season with the Houston Texans. Guys, how awful was that news to hear? Oh, it's devastating news. And obviously this is a story that's much bigger than football. I mean, he was a second-round pick, worked his tail off at Alabama, and even before that, to get recruited to Alabama to get this opportunity. But first and foremost, the important thing is his own personal health. So on behalf of all of us at 3Down Nation, we want to extend our sincerest you know, thoughts and well wishes to John Mechie III and his family as they negotiate this tough time. He did say in his statement he anticipates making a full recovery, and obviously we wish him that over the coming year. Well said, Mr. Hodge, and that's it for this edition of the Three Down Nation podcast. Be sure to join us again next week.